Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to another Friday show. It's the show that's been trying to figure out this riddle all week. If a tree falls in the middle of the woods but there's no one around to hear it, then is Miguel Delaney the most annoying person to ever walk this earth? Answers on a postcard please to the usual address. I'm joined today by Howard and Asan, but before we say hello to them, I just want to quickly say something. What you're going to hear today is a rare thing, even in 2020, even in a pandemic that's left us all frightened and vulnerable. What you're going to hear today is three men talking to each other about their feelings, their fears, their insecurities. The hope is that this will become less of a rare thing, because right now, what we all have in common is far more meaningful than what divides us. We're all in this together. So the hope is that what you're going to listen to in the next hour connects in some way. And maybe one day we can get to the stage where if any one of us, whether he or she is a City fan, a Liverpool fan, or yes, even a United fan, if they fall in the middle of the woods, then there's always someone who hears. Good morning, Howard. How are you today, sir? Good morning. That was beautiful stuff today. And um, and I'm not going to be sarcastic today, so I meant that as well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm okay, thanks, obviously. We'll talk a lot more later, but yeah, it's Friday, but the day... Does that even matter anymore? No, it doesn't. So the sun keeps shining and shining and I'm going to go for a long walk later as well. So, And good. that makes me anxious, but it also does me the world of good. So I'm looking forward to that. Are there, because you, you talked to me before about kind of going for a walk and people being around you. And obviously, I know where you live and I know it is quite a busy environment. <laughs> is that a threat? Are, are there places nearby, though, where, you know, you can find a bit of solitude and kind of you have to go for a walk? Uh, honestly, you don't know what you're about to encounter. So I live on a yeah. main road, so get off Brooklyn's Road immediately. The canal is just, yeah, no go. Uh, it's been one of the busiest places, which is a shame because it's the nicest place to walk. But the River Mersey is not far away, and that's pretty secluded. So, yeah, the side streets, there's thousands of side streets. So, yeah, it's pretty easy, to be honest. And you can walk into the road because the overweight, you know, even though there's still too many cars on the road, I think there, the chances are you can walk into the road, there won't be a vehicle coming at that precise point. So the actual walk itself is not, there's no threat to me whatsoever. It's just the, it's in your head a lot of the time. And the fact I live in flats and it's going through the front door is probably what worries me more than anything. But, you know, you've got to, I've got to go out at some point. You you can't live with that attitude for forever, really. So what will be will be in a way. Okay, mate. Well, good morning, Gates, Sam. How are you feeling today, mate? Morning, mate. Um, Yeah, I'm all right. I mean, I I tend to find the uh, first half of the day is a lot lot easier than the second half of the day. Um, And they try and be more productive in the morning and be a bit more positive in the morning. So, yeah, I'm all right. Good, good. And how's the weather out there in Paris? Hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it, it's. It, I mean, so not just pleasant, but actually quite. It's, I think it's know, going to be twenty six. I think it's going to be wow. twenty six today. And, I, and right. the thing is, our apartment's quite. Uh, it's a little bit of a sun trap, um, and that's not a bad thing. It's. I mean, it's it's nice um, if it stays around twenty five, twenty six. But like last year in the summer when it got up to thirty five, then it's really hard to be in here. Um, but I actually think the weather helps, like certainly for me, for me and Claire, like the fact that we've had, you know, like I think it must be like 
every single day since the lockdown has been lovely. Feels like that anyway. Um, I think actually it makes it a little bit easier somehow. Um, I'm apparently the weather's going to be pretty bad next week and we're going to have a week of like just like very gray clouds and a lot of rain. And I don't know how be interesting to see how that feels as a, mm. um, yeah as an environment to kind of experience this lockdown in. Yeah. If, if it was a winter, then bad weather kind of goes hand in hand with that. And it, you think, okay, let's get all cozy and kind of just bunker down. But, you know, in the summer, if, if it's bad weather, yeah, it, it's, it might make it worse, but um, we'll have to wait and see. I've heard the same thing about over here. It's going to get worse next week, but um, mm. we've got a really nice weekend ahead of us, apparently. So, Okay, uh, before we discuss the peculiarities and difficulties of a life in lockdown, let's talk football, because after all, this is a football pod. It's now been 46 days since Manchester City last played a competitive fixture, and six weeks since there's been any significant football played in the UK. Um, Aysan, I'll start with you. Are you missing football? And if so, what particularly are you missing about it? Um, I mean, yeah... Definitely. I think that maybe two or three weeks ago, if you'd have asked me this question, I'd have, you know, been quite dismayed and been like, why would I be missing football when there's so much going on in the world? Um, but I think that as the kind of norm, as this becomes a new kind of normal, uh, being locked mm. down, um, you try and get yourself back into some kind of routine or rhythm of life. And football is such a, you know, it's been so much a part of the fabric of my life for so long that it's very weird to get back into a routine of normalcy, which doesn't include watching football or even really talking about football. Because, you know, I realized that I spend, I mean, it would be, it's not an exaggeration to say that um, I don't spend more than like maybe 40 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day looking at Twitter. That's, you know, that's gone mm. from probably six hours a day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm beginning to, I'm beginning to miss all aspects of it. Uh, well, I should say, I shouldn't say that I'm beginning to miss all aspects of it. I'm beginning to miss the, the actual 90 minutes of watching the football. I miss a little bit the vibrancy of the discussion that goes around the football. I think about a lot of the podcasts that we do. And even like, you know, when we've released older podcasts and you, I listen to them and I miss that, you know, just somebody playing well or somebody playing shit, then going on a podcast yeah. the next day and having that, that conversation is, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's so much, so much of, this so much of my life, uh, particularly in the last five or six years, has become so deeply intertwined with uh, with city and with football that I miss it now for sure. How can you relate to that? Yeah, I mean, when seasons of run their normal course, yeah, every other year in history, uh, I've usually been glad by the end, yeah. However, whether it's gone good or bad, I've been glad it's like, you know, it's been stressful, it's been up and down. I'm glad of the break and I'll be raring to go again uh, come August. Of course, this is different that we're, you know, we've, we've suddenly stopped when we're just getting to the the business end of the season. I fight, do I miss it? It's, no, 
<laughs> yes and no. I mean, really? I have to wean myself back onto it, which is weird. You say, you know, it's six weeks, but it's not really that long. It just feels much longer. Six weeks without football is hardly the end of the world, is it? As I say, it's like a summer break, but it feels like everything's changed since then. So I miss it, but if it came on now, I don't know how I'd react. I don't know what I'd be... I'd obviously put it on. If it was on the TV, if football started, if the Bundesliga started, I'd be straight on watching it. And if the Premier League started, I obviously crave to watch some football. All the... It's not just what I... Yeah, it's not just the... The Twitter side, the social media side, us discussing it, the fact we write about it, we're passionate about it. My social life entirely revolves around it. But (laughs) I don't have a social life anyway, so no one does. So, yeah, well, if it started, that social life isn't coming back for a long time. So it's going to be in stages, really, that you get back to watching football, reacting to it and feeling something from it. and there's, I'm sure we'll talk in a minute about what we miss about it. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of things. The, the emotion's gone, hasn't it? You just, you're preoccupied with something else. And at some point, we will want it back because it will be that release again. Yeah, I think it's what it represents, isn't it? It does represent normality. It represents structure. Um, you know, it offered us structure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I entirely agree that should it return now in some kind of bastardized kind of, form behind closed doors then I wouldn't be embracing it kind of uh, you know kind of like like a thirsty man walking out of a desert um because it'll be different how it was what I miss is the football of old because it represented normality it represented kind of my life before this happened um so perhaps it's that I miss more than anything else but yeah I mean for me the key thing is the structure it gave me um, you know, it was Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Um, say City were playing at half five on a Saturday. Um, watch that. And then you're talking about it on Twitter on Saturday night and you're watching Match of the Day. On Sunday, there'll be like, you know, Liverpool against Leicester, for example. And, and you're kind of excited about watching that. And, you know, you base your day around that. You base your kind of when to make your kind of, you know, your tea and when to go out and what to do. Um, then Monday morning, up early, talk, writing about City for Unibet. Monday afternoon, discussing it with City fans on Twitter. Um, and then you're on to Tuesday and maybe it's a Champions League game. And maybe on a Saturday it was away and I didn't go. But now it's at home in the Champions League. And, you know, you're really excited all Tuesday. And it's like you finish work early and you're driving up the motorway and, and you're buzzing. And it just gives a structure to your life. And that's gone now. But then again, life as we knew it has gone now as well. So the two things are kind of combined, aren't they? Um yeah, I mean, when you kind of dig down into it, um, it, you know, obviously football as a whole is, is the thing that we're missing. But when you dig down into it, is it the kind of match day that you're missing the most, eh, Sam? Um, or is it kind of the discussing of the game post-match? Or is it the emotions that that kind of comes forth from watching City? What, what is it particularly that kind of you would love to just revisit for a couple of hours right now? It's just the game. I think it's the emotional. Uh, I think it's the. Um, so, firstly, it's the escapism of the ninety minutes. It's the fact that for ninety minutes, the only thing that matters is that game of football. I think also a little bit, it's the how you can how football for me um, has always been a kind of you know a surrogate way to channel 
different emotions from your daily life. You kind of take that 90 minutes and you can use it to channel whatever emotions or whatever it is that you're dealing with. Football becomes the release in some way. Um, <clears throat> and so really that's what, what I miss. I mean, actually I'll be honest. Um, I don't know if, uh, when this ends, I'll go back to social media because as it stands, um, I realize that the least relevant part of my love for football is what goes on on Twitter. Um, and in general, I realize that my, uh, awareness of, of both social media and the media was massively amplified when I started doing the podcast and started spending so much time on Twitter. And actually, I think that when football comes back, I want to do it slightly differently because I think that, you know, I, I it, it's very noisy social media and I quite like the quietness of of this part of football for me right now. I like the fact that it doesn't really matter what people write in newspapers because I'm not reading it because it's not really relevant to, to anything right now. And, and what I feel actually is that when football comes back, I think I'd just like to, as much as I can, focus on the football itself and really, really push everything else, push all the narratives as far to the back of the room as I possibly can. Do you think that might change though as regards to social media because um, I've certainly noticed it in recent weeks where, where there's been a change of kind of attitude people are a lot more nicer on there um, you know kind of the, the rivalries uh, you know I know they're not relevant right now uh, so that's a, a key part of it um, and also the fact that we're all kind of in this weird situation together so that's going to bring people together and I know too that you know we are going to get back to how we were and it's just inevitable, you know, if, if football returns and if life returns, then within a short period of time, there will be loads of Liverpool fans giving me grief on Twitter and me giving it back. But do you think that it won't return as bad as it was? Do you think, well, there'll always be, do you think this is going to change us, this pandemic, um, for the better, perhaps, um, as football fans? Um, no. Because I don't, <laughs> I don't think that um, I've seen quite what you've seen. Um, I think mm. that whenever I've dipped my toe back into social media, generally I've left again because you only need to see, you only need to disappear down one rabbit hole for three and a half, four minutes to yeah. to remind yourself <laughs> of just just how bad it can be and how bad it is. And I think you, you know, you're opening about Delaney. Um, when you kind of put the jokes aside, it's quite disturbing and quite tragic the energy that that guy is putting yeah. into what he's doing right now. I think that, that for me, and I don't want to sound like a hippie or anything like that, but I think for me, there is a, there, there's come a point at which I kind of want to draw a line and go, you know, there's only so much negativity you want one person can take in their daily lives. There's only so much anxiety or stress one person can take in their daily lives. Football, really, in this moment where there is no fucking football being played, um, football shouldn't be that thing. And when I look at, 
I really, my heart goes out to a lot of Newcastle fans because I see what he's doing. You see very clearly what he's doing. And Absolutely. the levels of, like, I mean, honestly, like, he's, he represents a type of person on social media that is the reason why I don't want to be on social media. Um, there's a kind of very binary, almost, um, I don't know. Like, I'm not even going to say it. Like, it just, it, I, I think that those, those things, that, that, that type of, uh, interaction has got very little to do with football. And for me, this lockdown is giving me, presenting me with the opportunity to really properly take stock because we often, often say that. Yeah. But we don't really do it. We're back. You get sucked in really quickly. But it's definitely allowed me to properly take stock in terms of going, what do you want to do? Like, do you really want to do? I don't have time. Like, I want to, I want to do other things and, you know, be productive and, and spending even seven minutes arguing with somebody like Miguel Delaney is, is something I should slap myself in the face for if I ever do it. It's just not worth it. That's, there's, as I say, there's enough stress in life right now. I don't need the toxicity. I can never say that word properly. Of, um, <laughs> of, of, of people who, even in this moment where the world is kind of going through what it's going through, can't put aside like their, I don't know what the word is, like just their trolling. I mean, that's basically what blokes like him are. Yeah. And, uh, and the scouser at, uh, 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 at the place, the blog that they work for, who I'm not even going to name because I fucking despise that swat as well. I think these guys are um, are are completely lost in a in a world of of self importance and and the importance of 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 what they think football is and their opinions on football. And I can't begin to express how out of touch so many people who write about football are from what it means to your average, average everyday punter. Okay. Well, I, I agree with very much of that. And, and so what does it mean to a, a, an everyday punter right now, Howard? Kind of, are people basically awaiting the return of football or, you know, the vibe you get from kind of, you know, social media and interacting with friends and family, do you, do you feel that people are just kind of eagerly awaiting football to return or do you feel that people right now just have more pressing priorities going on in their lives to, to give a shit. No, no one's eagerly awaiting football. Well, well look, I'd eagerly await it if I knew it was safe to do it, but I think those who know, <laughs> who have a good grasp of what is going on in the world, know it ain't happening. And, yeah, as you said, I've got other things to worry about. It's all done along tribal lines, really. If you really want it to come back, it's because you're... You want this season to finish for other reasons. It's not because of your love for football. It's the need for to be declared champions or promoted or not relegated or whatever. So if you get, if you, you know, if we move away from our tribal preferences on how, when we want the season to end and just talk about us as football fans, I can't think there's many that are really, really keen right now to, to watch a football match. Uh, but it, 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 change so quickly it can change quickly again uh, but I think we know this is a gradual thing and it's a gradual thing when you ask about will we all go back to being you know sh- shouting at each other and tribal lines on Twitter yes that day will return it's all 
people just have too short memories, all this be kind stuff that lasted for about two weeks. And it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this would yeah. be gradual. Yeah, we all thought there'll be one day the lockdown ends, we all go out and have our normal lives. We know that won't happen, and football itself will return. And there are people on Twitter whose careers, <laughs> uh, their prominence on social media depends on being arseholes. So, yeah, they've got to make difficult decisions on whether they want to uh, to continue being ourselves and get those hits in or if they want to be nicer people. Uh, but, you know, if we beat the coronavirus and it's not a part of our lives that we think about every day, I can rest assured we'll all be back on Twitter doing exactly what we were three months ago. I will. Not all, not, no, not all of us. I mean, Twitter will resemble that for... If Definitely. you go in, it will look the same as it did three months Mate, ago. I'll be there as well. I'm just, you know... <laughs> of course I'm, you I'm will. So, I'm so impressed with myself right now and my, uh, and my uh, kind of, you know, I'm above all this nonsense. As soon as it starts again, I'm, it'll only take one tweet from one daft scouser and I'll be back in with, with, with both feet. Uh, to be honest, one of the things that I found quite interesting is I don't see this outpouring or this outbreak of of love or harmony that, that you guys are talking about. But one of the reasons that I barely spend any time on social media is because when I open it, it's like, you know, there's a pandemic going on outside the window and certain accounts are still tweeting like they're, you know, 14 year old. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, it just, that, that's not for me. You, you, your your lad's Bible and your Joe and your, you know, Bleacher Report and your, you know, and the, club, yeah. and the club accounts, you know, the, 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 the fan media accounts that like to go after their rivals. It's just like, you know, it's just like, you know what? I give a shit about any of that stuff right now. It's really hard for me to, uh, it's really hard for me to be in an environment where you're still talking about, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I'm, I'm I, I, I kind of disagree. I mean, we've all got different timelines, of course we have, and, and so you're going to see different things. But I'm just—I am seeing a change in attitude. Um, you know, of course, those people that you mentioned are still around, uh, just still polluting our kind of timelines. But I mean, for example, I, I lost my last kind of writing gig uh, yesterday, so essentially now I don't have any employment. You know. Um, and I put it up on Twitter because I was hoping that a couple of editors would see this and maybe get in touch if there was some work out there. Um, a Liverpool fan who we've never got on at all because he's a Liverpool fan, I'm a City fan. Um, and immediately he retweeted. Um, another Liverpool fan who, my God, we've had some like bitter rows before now, got in touch. Are you all right, mate? How's things? You you okay? Um, another Liverpool fan DM'd me to wish me all the best. Uh, a fellow kind of writer um, DM'd me and said, look, mate, I've got some shifts going with with the mirror right now. Um, I'm happy to give up some of them and you can have them. And I was like, no, don't do that. And he's like, well, I live with my parents. I'm not struggling financially. You know, I can give them up um, for you. Um, I've encountered in the last kind of 12 hours things which just have brought a tear to the eye, you know. And um, I think it's, it's just brought it home to me that, you know, it is only football. And within that kind of sphere of only football, Twitter is even like lower than that in terms of its importance. You know, it, football Twitter is nothing in the great scheme of things to begin with. Right now, that's certainly the case. And what's coming forward and what's coming through my timeline now are people. And I, you know, I know that sounds like hippie-ish and, and bullshit, but it's true. It's I'm, it's like I'm seeing people for the first time rather than Twitter accounts. Um. And I know that's not wholly the truth, and I know that you know there are kind of the Delaney's out there and the Lad Bibles, etc. But 
Yeah, I'm just seeing a more humanised version of Twitter right now, and, and I don't think we're immediately going to revert back to the tribalised nonsense that we used to have to put up with. I think it will be a gradual thing. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful that society will be reset to a certain extent, uh, and that will be reflected on our social media. But I'm going to be wrong, aren't I? I'm wrong mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep, very much so. I mean, you only need to look at... You only need to look at, at what's happening um, to Newcastle fans right now. You only need to look at not just... Because I think that the, the reason I really feel sorry for them is because we didn't get it this bad, right? Because this is now this is now a campaign which is moving right across all of the newspapers. And the campaign is a concerted effort to almost blacken the takeover before it's happened and even try to derail it. And for me, the, the manner in which that's happening, the focus on the supporters, the way that, you know, your battle, gentlemen, is with the Premier League, the people who decide whether or not somebody can purchase a football club. Your battle will never be with the supporters who want Mike Ashley out. And yet somehow, I, you see what I'm driving at here. It's very difficult to for me. I don't, I don't want to be such a cynic, but it's really hard for me to see where this kind of how we can have a a better world or a less divisive world when we've got a disgustingly rank set of sports pages with a disgustingly rank set of sports writers, football writers who are you know just so completely out of touch that it makes makes it very difficult because they are the um uh, they're the loudest voices on 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 football twitter they are the kind of you know they're the gatekeepers of morality on football twitter i think it's uh, uh personally i think that they're the ones who need to be removed i think they're the problem i think if you got rid of you know a dozen of these uh hipster rioters from football twitter i think it would be a, i think actually it would be a lot more sane a place I would, what, what's your thoughts on it? Are you kind of... Um, Sorry, lads, am I way in? too dark today? Am I going to get sacked that was, off? That was podcast? deep, man. That was deep. Sorry. <laughs> let's be honest. I know so we'll go to ladies. Yeah, privately fu- furious at the Newcastle takeover. He's absolutely delighted that it's, it's a matter from heaven for a lot of journalists right now. It's giving them well, something exactly. to uh, get outraged and talk about for weeks and weeks and weeks. Exactly. Apart from when's the Premier League restarting behind closed doors on the moon or oil rig or whatever and will they be getting changed in cars and we're so bored with that that they've got something now. So, yeah, it's faux outrage a lot of the time. Uh, I, it, the world had changed already. With that, why? I mean, I'm... I'm I'm basically talking myself out of my own writing as well, but what what we don't need football journalism as much because of social because we see everything, we see everything, we see every match, we see every incident, we know about the accounts of every club, we know who owns them, we know the background before anyone writes a column or an opinion piece, and so to remain relevant for all of us is so much more difficult. So what has Barney Roney got? The the point of a, an opinion piece now is that it's beautifully written and it you know it, it entertains you in a way. We're not being educated by any of these people, uh, so the only thing they've got to offer is some nice writing. So they've got to pretend to they've got to somehow be, stay relevant. 
And yeah, it is oh. horrible. It wouldn't be. There's nothing they've offered. Nothing. If they disappeared, a lot of. I'm not saying all football journalists. I'm talking about specific people, as Asan was. Then nothing would change. I would be no less educated. My day would be just as good. There's just nothing offered by a large swathe of them. I'm afraid. And that's partly due to how the world's changed and how they've, had, you know, we've had to adapt and how we get our information. But a lot of it is nothing more than just white noise. I'm afraid. Mm. Are we to blame, Howard? We, like, you know, we as in football supporters, are we to blame for this? Because I see. I mean, I very much equate Delaney, for example, with Katie Hopkins and Piers Morgan. And I'm not talking about it in an ideological sense. I'm <laughs> Steady about, on, yeah, that's harsh. Yeah, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm purely talking about. Knowing that what they do is to make themselves, uh, you know, kind of up there to kind of be controversial and to make themselves relevant through controversy, essentially, through being outspoken and kind of winding people up and just trolling. Um, He does that in a football sense and he's very aware of that, I'm sure. He knows that that is his value. Um, because look, we've never met the guy, and we're talking about him now on, on, a, on a podcast, which is not supposed to have anything. To, I know I mentioned him at the start, but it's not supposed to have anything to do with him, and yet we're talking about him. Um, and I, so I agree you know, with a lot won. of his views. Yeah, you know, he, he has won. He's, he's doing his job well in that regard. You know, yeah. if you're setting up a website tomorrow in a very difficult economic kind of world out there. Um, you want people to be read and you want people to get hit. And if Miguel Delaney was available, then you would pay top dollar for him because you know that he'd be out there on the front line, on Twitter, winding people up, getting people talking, getting people reading his articles and sharing. So that's the world we live in now. But that yeah. also makes us culpable, surely, because when the reason I, com- I compared him in that specific regard to Katie Hopkins and Piers Morgan and all the rest of them is because when I see them, on Twitter, you think, oh my God, everyone, just stop responding and you just, you, you kill them at the source. You just cut them at the roots, yeah. you know? That, just that doesn't stop, happen. Stop. It doesn't happen. It's never going to happen, but it does make us culpable, doesn't it? Surely. It does, us yeah, as a society. Yeah, but we're all individuals. You can't just like expect everyone not to respond. No. I've seen that with Katie Hopkins for years. She thrives on this, don't respond, but someone always will. So it's pointless. You just stop shouting. You, know, you shout. Well, yeah, shouting into the wind is the uh, is the the family friendly way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no point. Just keep playing that. Don't respond because people will. That's just human nature. As Ace yeah. said, yeah. we'll go back on there and be in a rabbit hole within four minutes. And I'm there watching our Newcastle fans argue with him, wondering whether to reply. And I'm thinking, why am I replying? It's nothing to do with me. Like, <laughs> uh, and we know he won't accept, you know, certain people won't, don't really want to take on other views. So why would I be on there uh, replying? But we can't help ourselves. It's human nature. Yeah. So yeah, we are culpable, but it's always going to be that way. And maybe we enjoy it too. I mean, you know, not not kind of right across the board, of course. I mean, I've muted him now, so clearly I don't enjoy it. But maybe we enjoyed kind of, you know, being outraged. I mean, maybe that's part of of what Twitter is. You're lying there on your sofa, you're kind of looking at your gadget, and it's like, you know, some journalist will say something about Manchester City, and it's kind of, you know, you regard it to be a disgrace. It invigorates you to a certain extent, doesn't it? You know, there's some crap on the telly, and suddenly you kind of you've got something to do for the next half hour to, to respond nah, to it. So, not for no? me. I, I just find I think that's toxic. I think that we're. Um, I think that feeds into what's wrong with uh, society right now is that we're 
you know, the internet and social media, it affords everybody a platform to get really angry and really loud really quickly. Um, and people don't think they only feel, um, and people like the other side, those people who are, uh, who have got social media accounts to trigger those feelings. Yeah. It's just, it's a really, it, for me, it's a pretty dark and toxic circle. And the more time that I spend outside of it, when I go back into, it's a little bit like the Blue Moon Forum, right? So I was a, uh, I was somebody who posted on Blue Moon like all day, every day for a decade, maybe even longer, right? Um, and when I stopped, after a few months, I went back and the first thing I thought was, how did I ever do this for so long? It's so, <laughs> yeah. it's so toxic. It's so, you know, yeah. everything is so angry. And that was city fans talking to each other. So, and the thing with social media is that that's not even, that's like rival fans and journalists who've got their own. You see what I mean? That like, that there's okay, a, there's yeah, a kind, yeah. there's a kind of level of, of, of toxicness to a lot of these conversations that is really detached from the reality of, of what the thing actually is for all of the anger and all of the the moralizing and the hand-wringing about uh, Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle United like Saudi Arabia is so deeply embedded financially in your life like whoever is listening to this podcast right now you don't know it but the Saudis are deeply embedded in your life you buy things you use things that they own outright yeah so they're making money off you already so when I look at social media or I look at like the sports pages, like that's nonsense to me right now because I'm like, you, the, to, it goes back to the, the, the idea of selective morality. You can't have morality that's that selective because then you're, that, the, the facts that people are convincing themselves that this type of selective morality is okay shows me how far down a rabbit hole people are with football on social media and arguing about certain things. And specifically like, like me, I'm a writer. When I write something, I know that if I put it out in the world, it will be there forever. Right. So I wonder with some of these guys who write, like, do you not know that this will be out in the world forever? Like, you know, when you make all this noise, you, you do you not know that like in six months or in a year, we'll be able to refer back to this and, and laugh at it. But they know that. But again, like it goes back to what you said. They don't care because they just want a reaction. In the end, they're, they're disingenuous in what they're writing because they don't care that much. Like Miguel Delaney really cares that much about human rights in the Middle East. I mean, man, if you look at the way that Delaney, Jonathan Wilson, Barney Roney, uh, Barry Glendening, all of these like human rights champions, if you listen to the way that they speak about the Middle East, the Middle East is basically just like a petri dish of backwards people, yeah, who were stuck in a time machine and you know, probably these guys probably it's, it's just it's I don't even know where to begin, mate. Like I, I think that's why I think that's why for me, um just being off social media uh is a is a really good thing. Yeah. I think that it's okay. uh, well, look, there's, but, there's, there's that, people angry at videos of nurses dancing, so if you want if you want to yeah. summed up in a microcosm there it, you know there it is it's I think if this one thing changes from all this and it had already changed at the end of last season Twitter can be whatever you want it to be so make it even more so it's who I will talk to on there 
and I won't be talking yeah. to Glenn Denning after his 11.44pm 7th pint tweet bullshit <laughs> that comes out. I'm not doing shit like that. I'm not arguing with Delaney, who would never, ever, ever take on an alternative point of view anyway. So, yeah. fuck it, you know, th- there is something for everyone there. Just make, don't make it a football Twitter if you don't want it to be. Make it a news site or whatever. You know, it, it, it just needs to be really channeled down and mute, you know, mute stuff, block stuff, and uh, and find those people who, who want to use it for good every day. Well, this podcast well, is, is is supposed to be about our kind of mental health and how we're coping yeah. with with the lockdown. And, and I think that what I realize as we discuss this is that one of the big ways that I'm coping with it is by avoiding the internet. That actually, the in this particular moment in time, uh, my, my day, uh, a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of my day is spent on the internet. And the rest of it is spent reading, writing cooking exercising like just trying to uh feed my soul Mm. good things yeah well this is what i want to get onto and uh, i want to start actually kind of in the lead up to this i was thinking about the three of us and something occurred to me that basically in the individual ways the three of us have have it worse than the other two so, for example, I have a long-term health condition that's been kind of immensely complicated by this whole situation. Um, Howard, you're doing this alone. You know, you're kind of, me and Asan, who have kind of a company of our wives, you don't. And, you know, I, I know from kind of speaking to my dad about this, because he's doing it alone too, how kind of immensely difficult that can be. Um, Asan, you're experiencing lockdown for a lot longer than me and Howard have. You know, you're now at a stage where we are yet to get to. Um, mm-hmm. So I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about these individual aspects. And if we start with you, Sam, because you touched on that then, you mentioned exercise, you mentioned cooking, you, you mentioned the things that you're doing to keep yourself proactive. I'm not there yet, and I hope to get there. So what I'm asking you is, let's kind of reverse your life, rewind your life back kind of three weeks or two weeks did you go through a spell when you weren't doing a lot of cooking and you were on the internet a lot or, you know, your mental health was suffering through this situation and that now you've come out the other, other side of that? Would that be fair to say? Not really. I mean, you know, it's challenging and it's day to day. So I, I think it'd be really churlish for me to go like I'm out the other side of anything because right, okay. it's, a, it's a new reality. I think the difference for me or the difference in time has been that... uh it became very apparent to me really quickly how easily my thoughts could be dominated by negative thoughts. And Mm. so what I just needed to identify was what triggers negative thoughts. And honestly, social media triggers negative thoughts faster than anything else. So I was like, okay, well, if I don't go on Twitter for a few hours, then, you know, and I don't go on the internet and I'm not refreshing like the front page of the guardian or whatever, then that might help me to be clearer in my mind. Um, and, and the, the, honestly, like the longer period that I went without looking at Twitter, the better I felt. So that was a beginning and a start. Um, I think the other thing is really accepting, um, the situation for what it is and accepting the fact that I'll have ups and I'll have downs and I have moments where 
it's fun and it feels like a holiday at home. And I have moments where I'm angry and I just want to throw things out the window and I don't really know why I'm that angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm quite good at of kind of accepting or embracing the whole um, of myself. And so, you know, it, it's, it's a day-to-day thing and I don't beat myself up if I have a bad day and I don't think that I'm amazing or that everything's amazing if I have a good day. I think exercise is the one thing that I'll say has made a huge difference to this. Getting up every morning and going for a run. Uh, it, when I don't run in the morning, I have really bad days. Really, right. really bad days. Um, so I see that certainly for the, because I think that for me after three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon, it's just hard. It's not even about you can do all the exercise in the world. It's just hard after three or four o'clock. But the massive difference is that if I do, if I exercise in the morning, it's challenging in the, in the late afternoon and the early evening, but I don't feel like I'm climbing the walls or I don't feel like my skin is crawling. If I don't exercise, if I don't go for a run in the morning, um, man, I can, I can, I can go a little crazy in the, uh, in the late afternoon and the early evening. And that's when the boozing really, um, becomes right. a problem. Which will then lead to the next day being less kind of um, open to the idea of going for a run, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite lucky so far in that my, uh, the kind of need to run trumps the, uh, the tiredness if I've been drinking the night before. Like two nights ago, um, we ended up having like a, a, a video a drink with, with some mates in London and it got like late. Uh, and I drank tequila, which you know, really doesn't lend itself to, uh, to getting up the next day. But really like I, my eyes opened yesterday morning and actually my first thought was, yeah, you need to move lad. Um, otherwise you'll have a really bad day. And that's what I did. I got up and I ran and it was fine. Like I had a, you know, it was a tough, you have tough days and you have ups and downs, but the point is that as long as you, well, for me anyway, as long as I do the, the exercise thing, it keeps the real gremlins away. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically what it all comes down to at the moment, isn't it? Just kind of keeping the gremlins away and trying to keep as much as I kind of loathe this term, kind of a, a positive attitude um, and kind of try and be upbeat. And, and I completely relate to what you're saying because particularly the bit actually about kind of throughout the day, there's times where you can feel like you're on holiday um, and there's times where you climb the walls and it's kind of varying from those two, sometimes in the space of an hour. Um, totally. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I'm lucky because I've got a yard um, and I don't... Have you got any outside spaces then? No, 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 no. I mean, that's um, part of what makes it so challenging, mate, is that, like, yeah. we're... Effectively, um, we're not really allowed out, uh, between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. at all. Mm. Like, they say that you, you can only go for, like, you know, if you've got to go shopping or whatever, your exercise has got to be done early in the morning or in the evening. Um, and no, we don't have a yard or anything like that. And not only that, but we live in an apartment building where we have a, a little, which is on our street, uh, at the front of our building. And 
It's really cheap, the little, but because it's really cheap, there's a queue that goes round the block mm. most right. of the day. Yeah. So even going out is super challenging because you open the door to the building and there's just like people there, lots of them. Sometimes the queues are respecting social distancing. Sometimes they're not. So I think one of the, one of the big things for me has been trying not to feel like I'm imprisoned. And I think that's probably why the run in the morning is so important because having that sense of being out, um, helps to alleviate some of the anxiety later in the day when I know that like, you know, cause the weather's lovely. Like even right now, the weather's so nice that you want to feel like I can do this podcast and then go for a walk or go and have a coffee in the sun or whatever. And the fact that you can't and the fact that I've got literally no outside place to go to is, uh, it's hard. Hey, so I'm going to ask you a personal question and if you don't want to answer it, just kind of, you know, flippantly kind of, you know, fob it off and we'll move on to Howard. But, um, so it's entirely your call, mate. But if by living in an apartment, um, with your wife and there's the two of you there and I'm guessing, you know, you get under each other's feet a lot, it's kind of how difficult has that been? How difficult has it been to kind of create your own spaces over the course of a day? Um, what between me and Claire? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've actually, we've, um, we've navigated it really well. I think that one of the, one of the things that we realize is that we really like each other a lot. So Mm. it makes it very easy to, uh, this is a shared experience for us. We're really lucky in that we're going through it together. And as I say, we really like each other. So that kind of sense of, I think very early on without saying it to each other, I think we both realized that to get through this, you just have to be cool. Like whenever you get annoyed about something, you've just got to park it. And you you see what I mean? That you just can't have any, you can't have any passive aggressiveness. You can't have any, um, in, in between the two of you, you can't have anything unsaid. You've just got to say it. If you've got a problem and you've got to be very patient with each other. And as I say, we're, we get on really well and we, we try and laugh a lot and we, we're meant to be on, on our honeymoon right now. And I think that's also helped a little bit because it's like, well, we should be on our honeymoon. So, you know, yeah. I'm definitely not feeling guilty about opening a bottle of champagne on a Wednesday night. It's not going to bother me. Um, so no, I mean, we're, we're all right. You know, I, I feel super, super blessed, uh, to, uh, have Claire as a, uh, as a partner, as a wife, because, you know, we, where we get on really well and she's amazing. I mean, to have somebody who you can live in such a confined space with for so long. And we've not had a, we've not had a fight. Like since we've been locked down, we've not had a real fight. You know, you cross words now and again, but just cross words lasts about 30 seconds, one minute. We've not had a single fight. So I think it speaks volumes about how we're handling it. I, I got lucky because we've got a small yard and um, Hannah basically when kind of, you know, she went on furlough, she just suddenly got really into gardening. Um, she just loved kind of being out there and then carpentry, weirdly. <laughs> um, and so she's kind of out there every day and just having that space. Uh, and then she said, the reason I brought it up with you is because she said last night when I was telling her about what pod we're doing today, Said then, does does they live in an apartment or does he have like a backyard? I said, no, it's an apartment. 
I said, oh my God, we would have still got divorced by now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that's have... strictly true, but just having that, you know, her going out and doing gardening, me going in the office, that has been the godsend because otherwise we would be under each other's feet and probably we would be annoying each other by now. Mm, but I do think I do think that as human beings we're incredibly resilient and we're incredibly adaptable. And even though you say you look at my circumstance and you go like, "Oh wow, if that was us, we'd be driving each other crazy," you don't know. You know, you might you might find yourself yeah. in this circumstance and be in a, be exactly the same as me and Claire. Be like, "Well, actually, we get on really well." So it hasn't actually made us fight more or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So how would um? I mentioned my dad earlier um, because that's kind of brought it home to me really with my dad because he's lived on his own now for say 10 years um, I go down once a week drop the shopping off um, I have a doorstep I have a chat from a safe distance for about 10 minutes I phone him up every day I know that even though he's been kind of living on his own for the last 10 years he's finding this really difficult he's finding it difficult for things to do more than anything um, how has it been kind of you know kind of are living there on your own and doing this alone is is that kind of really difficult? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I've always, always been really independent, so I mean, in a relationship or not, I'd want time to myself. And I've worked from home for four years now. Now yeah. there was an effect after. So I've had office life for about what twenty five years. No, about 50, 20 years. So I worked in office, and like most people, I generally hated it. Uh, but it's only when you stop working in an office and you work from home, which you think is going to be like utter, you know, absolute nirvana, you know, absolute perfection, yeah. you, all your dreams to work from home all day. And it's not all that, to be honest, because you miss the social interaction that you, that is subconscious, basically, that you've always, you know, you had in an office. And I've, you know, I've got friends still from working in an office 20 years ago and, made great friends you don't realize until you do you know to you're away from the office and just sat at home by yourself during the day uh just how mm. that you're missing something so i've had a run-up to it uh and my schedule you know the thing is 70 percent of the day is exactly the same so yeah my sleep hasn't suffered so i go to bed early i get up early i, I work till about three and then that's when i start thinking now what because, you know, a lot of the time, you know, in the midweek, you might have a match or you might be going out or going to a gig or, you know, that's it. It's more the late afternoons that are the problem in the evenings, but I cook as well and that takes up time. And it is weird because you need that social interaction, but, and doing it over video is, gets you halfway there. But it's yes, obviously not, exactly. it's not the same. I mean, I've noticed people have been, you know, understandably so, but I've noticed that people in the media have been talking that up, kind of, you know, saying the importance of kind of social interaction via kind of technology. But as you said, it's it's halfway, isn't it? It doesn't, it's not the same. It's like, you know, tonight we're, I'm having like a, a online poker tournament with lads I used to play poker with and we'll be in the chat box and, you know, we did it last week and people are saying, oh God, this is just like, you know, it's been down the pub. Well, it's not, it's not. No, you know, it does have yeah. yeah. Well, every Friday I've had, uh, obviously, you know, I've not, I'm not physically seen. So I saw, I mean, I, I have a, yeah, tonight I'll be doing a pub quiz and I'm, I'm, cause I won the first one. I'll be doing the questions and the, the yeah. first one we did stayed on for six hours to two o'clock and had the first hangover the day after. Uh, yeah. 
Well, you know, it does help. You're seeing people, you're actually seeing them. The, the guys that hang around, you know, they go to matches with and sit in a pub with for seven or eight hours every weekend or some midweeks. Uh, but the last person, today I'll go for a walk with a friend. So and mm. I'll meet up in Sale. He'll be on the opposite side of the road and we'll walk for a few miles. Uh, so I'll see him, but he'll be five metres away. Uh, you know, yeah. not even two metres, it'll be five metres away. We won't go near each other, then we'll go home. But it'll do me some good. And unlike, you know, ASAN, I can go out. So I can go out for a walk now if I wanted to. Uh, just, you know, as I've said well, before, can, can I'm, I just, I'm never sure if I want to. Huh? That's, what, that's what I wanted to touch on, because I know you in particular, uh, and ASAN also referred to it, you know, and understandably so, with kind of, you know, the queue outside um, the apartment building then, one of the problems really is going outside, isn't it? It's it's not a comfortable experience. Um no. and, and you've mentioned this to me, um, you know, about how uncomfortable you feel when you're walking down you know the pavement and there's people there and you're having to kind of get out people's way. Um like in a dialogue. Is yeah. that yeah, is that gonna get better, do you think? Is that gonna get easier or, or is that just gonna have to be until this is all over? I think it's, it's. I think it's stats, but it will have to. There'll be a point in your head where you're just like, you've got to take that. You've got to like roll the die and get out there and not yeah, do anything yeah. differently. Yeah. But in your head, you ha- it has to be different. You have to approach it differently and say, "Look, the fact is, when I go for a walk, possibly one person will walk past me a meter away. Come on, <laughs> you'd be staggeringly unlucky if that uh, interaction made you ill in any shape or form." That. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll get to the point where eventually you say you won't worry about things like that. But it'll be a long time before you'll be comfortable about being right next to people. And that's and that's the main thing, in a way. I mean, I want to look into someone's eyes normally, you know, anyone's. Because I went for a meal for my mum's birthday about, well, mid-March. About, but no, it'd be almost six weeks now. And I was worried yeah. we shouldn't have gone for a meal that day. Uh, and that's the last time... You know, that was my last social engagement. So I won't see any of my family, and we don't know for how long. I won't see any of the guys go to football with, or all my other friends. You know, away from football, and you know, I can think of two other people away from them that I'd really like to see that I've not seen for months. But what keeps you going is you've no idea how long this is. You know, if I knew now, I'd have to sit here for nine months. I'd be an absolute wreck. But I don't have to sit here. I can go out. We don't know what the future holds, and that I think that's that's linked into why people, are, you know, these stupid journalist questions about why why are they asking about the lockdown. It's because people they shouldn't be asking because you can't give a date. But you know, when will the lockdown yeah. end? Sorry, but people need that hope. People just need to know that it may end at some point soon because that's what gets you through the week. Yeah, hope, Aysan. As regards to kind of interaction, kind of online, um, keeping in touch with friends and family, how helpful has that been? How possible has that been? Um, it, it's been pretty possible. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. It's funny. Like, so I think the first couple of weeks, we every night we were having drinks with people. Um, I think for me, at some point, and for Claire as well, actually, uh, we realised that. You want to keep in touch with people, but at the same time, it's very difficult when you're um, in this situation to not talk about the situation itself. And that's not necessarily what you want to do. So we maybe lessened the, the number of drinks we were having with, 
video drinks we were having with people per week just because I don't want to sit there every night and talk about the coronavirus and how long we'll be locked in for and do you know what I mean like you kind of you have moments where you you like this where it's like you know it's almost like therapy you want to talk about it and you have moments where you don't want to talk about it and particularly in the evening for the two of us we've actually found that you know we want to laugh more than anything else so we try and avoid heavy heavy conversations um but it has been really helpful i mean you know the technology helps it really really does the fact that i can see my mom see my dad see my friends you see what i mean like it's yeah even if the physical proximity isn't there when you see them and they see you and you have a conversation it does something it is different than just down the phone line well, if this has happened even as recently as 10 years ago, but absolutely 20 years ago, my God, it would be, you know, mentally more difficult, wouldn't it? You know, it's prior to kind of Skype and prior to kind of video calls and all the rest of it. Um, and prior to the internet as well, if we're going back kind of 25 years, then I can't even imagine how that would have been, um, you know, just using landlines and just chatting away to people and, and but you know, just trying to keep in touch with people and make sure everyone's okay. Um it's interesting that you've both mentioned three o'clock. That really kind of stands out to me um, because that's kind of true of me too. So I'm guessing, you know, just by... It stands to reason that the people listening to this who will also strike home that it's it's a difficult time of day for this mid-afternoon. Um, and by the time it gets to evening, I've adapted and I'm okay again. But late afternoon to kind of early evening is a difficult time for me. And what I've started to do, stupidly, is have naps. Um, I've started to nap in the afternoon and that is such a quick habit to fall into and such a hard habit to break. Um, To do so for about two or three days, you've got to walk around like a zombie because your body now, my body now is just timed where when it gets to about three o'clock, I want to have a nap for an hour. And it works. I come out of it and I'm okay again and I've got more energy in in the evening, but it's not ideal. It's not healthy. Um, It is. It is healthy. Do you think it's healthy? Humans are, Mate, what's to have, not healthy? humans are supposed to have two sleeps in a 24-hour cycle. Okay. Trust me on this. It's totally normal to have an afternoon nap. That's why siestas exist. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, what's not healthy is uh, what I do, which is I get to 3 o'clock, and I'm like, okay, is the bar open yet? Can I have a drink here? <laughs> I'm looking at Claire going, is it okay if I make myself a drink? And she's like, it's 3 o'clock. And I'm like, yeah, and? Going anywhere? I'm not doing anything. I, you know, I just I've not had the urge to drink more, but maybe that's because I've never drunk at home, and it's a social thing for me. I had we had never drunk at home but before course, this yeah. lockdown. But of course, and I now, get on a video thing, then I'm cracking a can open within five <laughs> seconds. So that that tells you everything. You know, if I'm talking to someone, I'm drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you've reviewed drunk right now. Are you? <laughs> no, yeah. No, oh, right. by video. Yeah, if you can see someone. Uh, you're allowed to drink, basically. So. <laughs> um, so, no, I mean, mate, having a nap is not... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in all seriousness, would you say... I mean, who's who's to say if this is a problem or not? Who's to say how much you can drink? I mean, Christ, we're in such a... I don't extreme. think it's a problem. So, I was gonna, that's what my question was going to be. Would you... Is it concerning you about your drinking? No. Or are you of the opinion of, well, hang on a minute, we're in this really extreme situation. Uh, for God's sake, I mean, you're supposed to be on your honeymoon right now. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if would, I could... would you see it as a problem if, um, like me, your 
Because I'm still getting a normal sleep. I'm now basically sleeping for an extra, say, hour and a half more than I was. Uh, if that was you, would you be concerned about that? I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on an hour and a half a day of productivity or something I could be doing what's useful. Instead, I'm just nah, basically I lying in the jimmy jams to sleep. Yeah, I used to sleep during the day a lot. I was quite notorious for it. I remember when I was at college, my mates used to take the piss out of me because college would finish and everybody would be like doing things. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm going home for a nap. I'd go home, have a nap, and then go and meet them wherever they were. Um, so I, I, sleeping in the afternoon is something I, I, I encourage. I think it's a really good thing. Um, whereas drinking in the afternoon is uh, something that, you've got to moderate somehow, find a way to moderate it. Um, but, and you know, we kind of talk about it in a joking way, but I think it definitely speaks to a, 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 a form of anxiety. The fact that absolutely, I, I, I do have that sense of, I need to have a drink. And if I don't have a drink, then I get really anxious and panicked and like, you know, I want to go outside and it's weird. It's just, um, the, no, absolutely. It's same with my sleep. That's what, concerns me about my sleep it's not that I'm doing it in itself it's but why am I doing it it's almost mm. like kind of you know an avoidance of anxiety around that time of day which is a particularly difficult time of day I, you know for all three of us so I think I said earlier it stands to reason that's a case for a, a lot of people listening maybe um, yeah, in the morning I wait yeah, that, sorry? I've not had many nights because of that three o'clock angst that I should be doing something productive yeah whereas the, the fact is I probably want a nap <laughs> it would fill in that little gap nice then I could do some cooking watch a bit of TV you know and that's your day uh, maybe yeah. a video chat who knows uh, it's just that bizarre thing that really when I don't have to be more productive right now because and I'll be, I'd be in a lot worse I never thought I'd say this but thank god I've got work to do because I never thought I'd ever say that I thought this would be great if the government could pay me to stay at home and do nothing uh, but it, at least it fills it up to that three o'clock. So I think it is important that there is something to do every day. You know, even if it's up to three, even if it's just the morning. Uh, I don't know, a hobby, a craft, anything. It's I, I haven't actually started watching more football. Uh, more football. Well, <laughs> retro football. I've been watching. I've not been watching more TV generally. I've not been reading more. Not a lot has changed except the anxiety. But that anxiety is. It's not really about me. It's about having two elderly parents or finding out someone you know is ill or, you know, and it's just that yeah. constant every day. It's like, well, another day is gone and, yeah, we got through it all. So, uh, yeah, it does. The more time you feel, the better in a way because it's just about occupying the mind, surely. Well, okay, on that note, um, I don't know the answer to this. Um, so, kind of let's, see, let's see the opinion of you guys. Um, I... I have a persistent kind of sense of dread and I feel certainly that's the case with you how we've talked about this before and I'm guessing, you know, it's going to be the same with you, Asan, where it's just underlying, you know, you know what the situation is, you don't want to confront it all the time of course you don't because that's not healthy and as you said, Asan, you know, when you're talking about doing video chats, you want to talk about something else rather than mm. kind of about the kind of pandemic but we, of course, at all times of the day, know that there is a pandemic. We know that it could affect our friends and family. We know that our lives are changed, you know, severely right now. Um, and there's a, a, a fear there and, and a kind of, you know, a negativity there, which is just under the surface. And you can go through 
all day without confronting that, without acknowledging that. You can avoid the news and the daily briefings and, and Twitter and all the rest of it. Is that healthy to avoid all that? Or is it more healthier to, you know, once a day or however many times to confront it and accept it and embrace it? Which would you say is the healthiest out of those two? I, I don't know the answer to that. I, to be honest, I think it's it's entirely down to the individual. Um, I don't think that there's like a, a one-size-fits-all approach to this. I think that, you know, some people will find it a lot easier to deal with it by thinking that it's a short-term thing. Some people will find it a lot easier to deal with it by accepting it's um, the inevitability of how long it will be because then you begin to accept it as a routine that you just need to get into. Um, so I think it'll just be, I think it's just different for for different people. I think I, I said at the start of this and I stand by this, um, the, the single most important thing that you can do is find the things that make you happy and do them. Find yes, the, the things that you, you know, whether it's food, whether it's drink, whether it's, you know, watching something or buying trainers or you know, whatever it is that you do that however you get your dopamine hit you should do that you shouldn't beat yourself up about it it's like what you you, you talking about the sleeping thing earlier it just really shocked me because i'm like mate that's like a, a really super healthy thing that you could do to have a nap in the afternoon that's awesome <laughs> that's like that's you know it's it's different to going for a run but it's it's a similar kind of thing in a way like it's good for you um, and you got to find the things that make you happy. And if those things are even good for you, that's that's brilliant. Um, Sleep is the best thing for your body up to a certain point, where mm, unless yeah. you o- only want to sleep all the time, where of course, yeah, it ties into mental health issues. But sleep is just are, are, are you, are you guys body. having? Well, are you guys having kind of weird dreams? And, and I'm having a lot more nightmares than I used to. But I guess I, I perfectly. I don't remember my dreams. So. You know. <laughs> No, I don't know. Be pretty helpful, to be honest. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking I'm, I'm having more nightmares than I used to. Maybe I'm not. It's just I'm remembering them now. I wake up and it's like they're there, kind of quite clear. It's, is it the same with you, Asan? Or you not kind of? I've had really weird dreams since this. Uh, right. Since this thing began, really, really, really weird dreams. Um, and yeah, they persist. So I. Uh, I think it's to do with, I think it's just to do with the fact that subconsciously we know, your subconscious knows that on some level you've been imprisoned. Um, yeah. And so all of my dreams are somehow about freedom, whether yeah. it be going on holiday or just whatever it is. I, I had a dream last week that I cured this by, um, uh, the answer was in eggs. <laughs> <laughs> It was something to do with uh, the white part of eggs and I told the government and I said, I don't want any money for this. <laughs> I can't believe I'm sharing this. <laughs> I told the government, I don't want any money for this, but I want recognition because I couldn't bear the thought of someone you know, like Boris Johnson saying, oh yeah, I thought of this um, when it was really me. So I didn't want anything for it. I just wanted to get back to my normal life and then the world was cured. I mean, basically, as people had to eat something like five eggs or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was all cured and then they did um, a this is your life thing for me as, as a reward um, wow I know I know 
It's, you I, really I, I, should I, I tell can't... people this because someone will nick the <laughs> someone will nick the idea. Yeah. Uh, and, and, oh yeah, Philip Schofield was the Eamon Home, um, Eamon, uh, Andrews kind of character in the Home Service of Your Life, and um, yeah, and oh, oh God, my God, yeah, this is the last thing I'll say about this. Um, one of the presenters from Escape to the Country came on as one of the guests on This Is Your Life. <laughs> so yeah, I'm having some really weird dreams. <laughs> You're having a great time, wow. Yeah. I know, I guess I have. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a pleasant one to be fair. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but that is obviously dreams and, and particularly nightmares because I am having some horrendous nightmares. I mean, you know, not regularly, but there has been times in the past few weeks where you wake up and it's like, you know, kind of damp sheets and you kind of, you, you panic. It's like, wow, I never normally have these kind of dreams. So I think it's from suppressing everything, not acknowledging everything, trying to kind of, you know, enjoy my day and, and manage my day, which is overall the healthiest thing to do. The, the compromise there, the payback, is that all the time it's bubbling under the surface, and then so when you fall asleep, all those monsters come out to play. I mean, that's my take on it. I, I might be nonsense, but that's how I view it anyway. No, definitely. I think it makes perfect sense. So, what about other coping strategies? I mean, we've mentioned cooking, we've mentioned exercise, um, which is the next big thing for me. I'm, I'm getting um, a mountain bike tomorrow, I'm going to go out for a few rides. Uh, one a day and hopefully that'll help um, are there any other kind of coping strategies you found yourself falling into um, to kind of get through the day just what I've already so, said just find yeah. something to do yeah uh, if that is gardening I don't know take on a project yeah something uh, that takes up the day it's about filling time for me you don't want to sit there and yeah. say I've got nothing to do today I've still I've done that twice I think on Sundays bizarrely as if they you know that's as if Sundays are still a thing yeah but Sundays yeah 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 yeah. City on plays Sundays has always been my rest day yeah where I don't have to do anything or think about work or anything and I've still managed to fill that a couple of times by you know just catching up on the the odd box set and not really doing much and going online and that sort of thing but most days I just treat them all the same as I say. Fill the time would be the best thing. But cooking, I mean, cooking, it's taking me time. First few weeks, I didn't want to cook at all. So, I mean, not I didn't want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen anyway. But now I'm coming round to the idea of spending longer and longer in there. So when I get my next shop, I'll be looking to, you know, to do something a bit more ambitious, something that takes a lot more prep time and just... Because that will fill that time late afternoon perfectly. Uh but yeah, it's just I think kids don't have huge gaps where you'd there's nothing else to do but turn the TV on. I would say, and and Please. yeah, and stay off the internet. I mean, there's there's nothing on the news. Aisan said it's a dance individual, which of course it is, but there's nothing we can do about this. So don't look for hourly updates on what's happening. It's just yeah, I was doing that in the early days, and you know people like. I don't know, it feels like it's rubbernecking, but it's hope as well that you're getting the daily death toll, you know, to see if it's gone down. Just yeah. just wait, get a daily update and, you know, a daily, read an article at the end of the day that tells you what's happened and try and leave it at that. I think because it's invisible, there's nothing we can do about it. Just be sensible and do turn off from the outside, you know, outside world and just occupy yourself within your own little bubble. 
Okay. Uh, Asan, anything you kind of want to leave us with? Anything that you think we haven't discussed? Um, no, I'm just, I encourage everybody to drink a little bit more. That's, <laughs> that's, you know, it's really not a bad thing. Don't beat yourself up if you, uh, if you feel like a drink in the afternoon. Yeah. We're living through weird times and, yes. you know. Yeah. I think the rules that, are off, aren't they? Yeah. Exactly. The rules are off. And like I said, for me, it comes down to this thing of find the thing that you love and do it. Whatever that thing is, find the thing that you love and just do it because now is not a moment to be... Um, you know, I see... Uh, in fact, one thing I will say. I see a lot of that kind of, you know, like I'm learning a new language and I'm getting fit. Yeah. And I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And it's like, you know what? It's okay to do nothing. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel like you don't have any motivation. It's okay to feel like the world is a weird place, a dystopian place, and I don't know my place in it right now. All of those thoughts are absolutely fine. And, you know, if you don't want to be positive, if you don't want to do anything, you want to sit on your sofa and watch bad TV and eat junk food, please, I encourage you to do that. Uh, Just... Absolutely. People being people finding whatever makes them happy, whatever they love, and, and embracing that—that's the most important thing right now. Boy, like am I eating? Bit, yeah. <laughs> oh God, I'm eating. I'm eating loads. It's. Oh. I, I was dieting before this, and that's gone right out the window. And you think, well, okay, I'll do that when you know when normality returns. Because right now, it's. I don't give a shit if it's comfort eating or what. I'm eating bad as well, but. Yeah, so be it. It makes me happy. <laughs> it and me I haven't put day. a single pound on, so it never changes <laughs> over ten years. My weight, so I might as well stuff my face with whatever. <laughs> and yeah. having said I don't drink at home. I've just last night I ordered thirty six cans of pale ale online. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, referring to what um, Asan said then about those absolute dicks and you're always going to get them of course you are but those absolute dicks who are saying you know oh you've got to learn a new language or you've got to use this time to do this and you know and the kind of LinkedIn generation and I go back to what kind of Bearded Genius responded to to that where he essentially said if we get through this kind of mentally okay emotionally okay physically okay then that's the achievement so yeah that's that's how I feel about it anyway, and that's what it's all about. And it's kind of just looking out for each other and helping us each do that in our own way. Um, thank you very much, lads. Thank you for your candidness and for talking about this. Um, and hopefully, you know, there's people out there who can relate to it. And and just kind of, if you are out there, get in touch with us on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Um, feel free to DM any of us. Um, and particularly if you're going through a bad time, don't think twice. Um, thank you very much, Asan. Pleasure, mate. Thank you for doing this. And thank you, Howard. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. And all the best to everyone and forever up the blues.